Hello, my name is Stanley Bill. You're listening to Notes from Poland. This week I talked to Paweł Jabłoński, Poland's Deputy Minister for Foreign Affairs, about Russia's war in Ukraine. We talk about what Poland is doing to help, a proposal to send NATO peacekeepers into Ukraine, energy sanctions and the refugee crisis. Notesfrompoland.com is the leading English language source of news, insight and analysis on Poland. In this podcast, I look at the country from all angles, politics, history, culture and society. You can get more news and the deeper stories about Poland at notesfrompoland.com. My guest today is Paweł Jabłoński, Poland's Deputy Minister for Foreign Affairs. Welcome to the Notes from Poland podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. Now, earlier this week, Poland's Prime Minister Mateusz Morawiecki and de facto leader and ruling party leader Jarosław Kaczynski visited the besieged Ukrainian capital of Kiev together with the prime ministers of Czechia and Slovenia. They met Ukraine's president and prime minister, who both expressed their deep appreciation of this gesture. But apart from the symbolic sphere, which is also important, what is Poland doing in concrete terms to help Ukraine defend itself against Russian aggression? Yeah, symbolic sphere is indeed very important. This was a very powerful message to the people of Ukraine that they are not alone, that there are leaders of Europe, of three European countries, that are ready to come to Kiev to express their support, to express that the, the, the fight that Ukraine is currently uh, undertaking, the fight of Ukrainian people is fight for Ukraine, but it's also fight for Europe. This is very important to remember. And so we know that this message was received very well. But obviously, the symbolic sphere wouldn't be enough if uh, no concrete means of support were also undertaken. And uh, I would say that we could divide uh, the, this means of support into two uh, streamlines, so to say. Uh, the first one, and probably when most, most important now in the short term, is support for Ukrainian defense efforts. Poland, together with other NATO allies, has been supplying and organizing supplies of defensive weapons and equipment for Ukraine, for Ukrainian defense systems. We are continuing this. We we believe that this should be even more reinforced now as Russian war is escalating, as Russia is viciously attacking residential districts, deliberately killing civilians, because these shellings are not accidental. This are not results of... Uh, bad targeting or anything else. This is deliberate plan to sow panic, to uh, to 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 uh, instigate fear among Ukrainian nation in order to break the spirit of and the, the will to defend Ukraine. And Ukrainians are bravely defending themselves. They're bravely standing their ground. It's our duty to support them also in, in, in defensive weapons and equipment. Uh, second very important area is uh, the diplomatic support for stronger and as strong as possible sanctions against Russia. Now, these sanctions that have been implemented already are strong. They are harmful to Russian economy. They are uh, felt by more and more Russian citizens. But Putin doesn't really care about the fate of, of citizens. He knows that they can uh, be even starving, but as long as he has the money to finance the war, he will continue this war. So we need to cut him off this money. We need to impose a total ban on the level of European Union 
on Russian oil, on Russian gas, on Russian coal. This is the source uh, where Putin gets his money. If we cut him off it, the, the war will have to end. I want to come back to that question of sanctions and energy in a moment, but just to continue on from on the Kiev trip. In Kiev, Yaroslav Kaczynski said that a NATO peacekeeping mission is needed in Ukraine. What did he mean by that? And is this the position of the Polish government? This is our position. And uh, we believe that this uh, involvement uh, in a form that would be agreed with Ukraine as a sovereign state that has full right to decide whether it wants to accept uh, such a mission on its territory, such a mission would be able to uh, address the most important goal now, and that is to protect civilian population. Because we have seen numerous occasions in the previous days that Russians have been promising to establish humanitarian corridors out of the cities that are being attacked. And in the vast majority of these cases, these agreements were not uh, were not observed. Russia was still attacking, was still shooting at innocent civilians. Peacekeeping mission would, and the primary goal would be to protect civilians from such situation to ensure that we do not, we're not facing humanitarian catastrophe, which is uh, very close, is, especially in the cities that are under greatest siege by Russia. So just to clarify, you're saying that the Poland government's position at the moment is that NATO military forces should be sent into Ukraine. We believe that it's not, uh, for example, we believe that Russia, uh, that has been saying it, if NATO does a particular step or it does not uh, meet uh, some demands by Russia, that this will be considered as a pretext for attack, as a pretext for war, as as a hostile move. But we know very well, not just from the recent days, but in the recent days especially, that Russia and Putin, they don't need any excuse to attack anyone. They will attack if we allow them to do it, if they have means and resources to do it. Right now, Putin is engaged in the war against Ukraine, war that he started, and he believes he will be able to win it very swiftly, efficiently. He didn't expect that there will be this level of resistance, and he didn't expect to have all his resources consumed by it. So if we allow Putin to win this war, if we will be standing aside, he will have time to reinforce his troops, to rebuild supply lines, and to attack again. And if we allow him to do it, he will be able even to win this war. And then with absolute certainty, we can say that he will be attacking next countries. So does this mean that Poland is also in favor of what Ukraine has repeatedly asked for? which is a no-fly zone over Ukraine to close the skies over Ukraine, which NATO has repeatedly said it will not do because it fears direct conflict with Russian forces, which could lead to a wider and perhaps even nuclear conflict. Is that a position that Poland does not share and would be therefore in favor of the no-fly zone if it's also in favor of putting NATO troops into Ukraine? I don't want to get into into uh, specific details of our position when it comes to, uh, to, to military issues, because most of them should uh, be discussed in the first place among the allies. And we will be discussing that next week with uh, all the allies in Brussels on NATO summit. We certainly hope that uh, some decisions will be taken. This is very important to do it. When it goes to no-fly zone, it is one thing to establish such a zone, another one to enforce it. And this is obviously very challenging. But we should be ready to take 
uh, many actions that have uh, that, that we maybe have perceived as something which uh, should be only considered as, as as last or or penultimate result just a couple of weeks ago. But the situation has changed on the February twenty fourth, and we need to acknowledge that we need to draw conclusions of it. So does that mean that Poland will be pushing, let's say, a, a hawkish line with NATO allies more in line with what Ukraine is asking for and seeking to be a kind of advocate for Ukraine's requests in conversations with allies? I wouldn't call hawkish an approach that is based on rational assessment of reality. Reality has been that Russia was preparing this aggression. They have been preparing for this for years. Poland and other countries in Central Europe, we have been warning about this. We have been warning what Russia is. We've been uh, telling our allies in NATO and EU not to deal with Russia, not to do business with them, especially not to do business that could finance the aggressive actions. Unfortunately, all the darkest scenarios have come to fruition. They they have been they have become reality. So when we are when we are drawing conclusions from what has been happening over the past months, we should also know that if we fail to act now and if we fail to be decisive enough, if we allow Putin to continue this war and to win it, then we have 100% guarantee that we will be attacked again. Some countries, be it Moldova, be it Baltic states, be it Finland, be it uh, countries in Central Asia, this is Putin's plan. And he's been openly saying that this is his plan. We should know better that than um, just waiting and um, wondering if he is going to do it again, because he will do it. This is the reality. To come back to the economic response, as you said, Western countries have taken unprecedented action against Russia in the wake of the invasion of Ukraine, including comprehensive sanctions and the suspension of Nord Stream 2, which Poland, of course, had been demanding for years, along with Ukraine. So you suggested that Poland is not yet satisfied with the EU and US responses, that further action needs to be taken. And particularly, are you saying a total embargo of energy imports is what Poland is advocating? And is that something that Poland is ready for? For instance, around 65% of Poland's oil at present still comes from Russia. This has been reduced in recent years, but it's still a very large proportion of Poland's overall oil consumption. And of course, we see an analogous problem across the EU. Is Poland ready to make this sacrifice? Does it have specific plans in place in order to make this realistic? Not only we have plans, but we have already started implementing them. Uh, it is already less than 65%. It's, it's, it's gradually decreasing and much, much more rapidly in the recent weeks. Uh, obviously, it is a difficult situation. And we do understand reservations in, in, in other countries that are much more dependent, for example, on Russian gas, such as Germany or Italy. We do understand that there are fears on rising prices. But there are also means that EU can take. For example, we can impose a maximum price for gas and we can diversify by buying more LNG when it comes to gas and by buying more oil from different from different sources. This is possible. This will obviously, in the short term, bring higher costs. But let's face it, if we won't end this war, the cost will be even higher because the, the costs that are rising are not result of the sanctions, they are result of the war. And if Putin wins this war, there will be another war and then another after that. We need to be aware of this. Action must be taken now because otherwise we will pay much higher price.
How does the Polish government assess what many interpreters are seeing as a sea change in German politics, an increase in defense spending, the suspension of Nord Stream 2, and some willingness to look again at diversification of energy supplies? Is the Polish government optimistic about the direction of travel now of Germany, and in particular with respect to negotiations over this concept of an energy embargo of Russia? We are assessing very positively the fact that Chancellor Scholz had the courage to change this long-time uh, policy of his predecessors, this failed policy that was, in fact, a policy funding Russian army, fun funding Russian aggression. This required a big degree of bravery and big courage to do it. And we are absolutely in favor of this. But obviously, we also see that there are already uh, big efforts are made in German domestic policy to either stop this uh, the shift or even turn it back, to even go back to what it was before. So much more needs to be done. There is a very intense discussion in the German political scene. There also the, the, the opposition party now, CDU, has declared that the policy of, of, of Angela Merkel in this regard was simply a mistake. So there is a very positive direction, but direction is not enough. We need to do more, and we know perfectly well that Germany is the m biggest and most important state in decision-making process in the EU. It's absolutely crucial to make such a decision. We constantly talk to our partners in Germany, also in other countries, bigger and smaller, and convincing them that this is the right thing to do, and not only the right thing to do, this is also a thing that is beneficial for well-being of all Europeans and for European economies in the long term. Another dimension of this war is that over 2 million refugees have crossed the Poland-Ukraine border since the beginning of the invasion. Some of these people have traveled on to other countries in Europe, but huge numbers are still in Poland. There has been, as we have seen, an extraordinary outpouring of solidarity, one might say, through active assistance from ordinary Poles. Many refugees are staying in people's homes. Uh, many of the Poles I know have Ukrainian families uh, in their homes right now. Local authorities have organized reception centers. The government has proposed payments to Polish hosts and work permits for Ukrainians. So how is Poland coping now with this unprecedented challenge? As time wears on and perhaps the initial enthusiasm dies down, there are some voices saying that the government hasn't done enough, that it has relied too much on this enthusiasm of Polish people, of Polish civil society. What do you think needs to be done now? And is the government handling this challenge? Well, the challenge is uh, still growing. Uh, we're speaking Friday afternoon, and so uh, we have just surpassed 2 million people reaching Poland directly from Ukraine. There are also, probably we already are in hundreds of thousands of people that are coming through our southern border with Slovakia, because many people that are traveling through Romania, Moldova, Hungary, and Slovakia end up in Poland as they have family or, or relatives here. So obviously now suddenly not uh, a month has passed and we are suddenly 2 million uh, or more bigger uh, society. This is a challenge that is unprecedented across Europe after World War II. There was no nothing that could be compared in terms of numbers. Uh, now, obviously, this wouldn't be the situation you wouldn't be able to cope with hadn't it been for this enormous display of enthusiasm or, or of, of generosity of all sectors of Polish society, starting with individual people, with businesses, NGOs, local authorities, churches, various organizations, and the government, 
tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people employed in the government service have been also working relentlessly from the very first hours of the war. Now, obviously, we, what we are uh, facing now is not just the first response. This uh, has been in place and this is right now these, the, the pressure seems to be slowing down, although we obviously don't know what, what might happen next week. Uh, but we are also ready for that. This first response is very important. But what's even more important is how to integrate refugees, families, mostly women and children, into the fabric of, of society. That's why the, the new law was adopted. It was, it was quickly voted through both chambers of parliament. And uh, we are planning not just uh, financial incentives for the people that are hosting Ukrainian refugees, but also uh, we're providing uh, all the refugees with rights that are um, going to uh, help them integrate. So rights to, uh, right to uh, healthcare, to education, to social uh, services, to, to social, to, to welfare programs. To the degree that we can do it, we will be doing this and we will be expanding it actually right now there is there's another expansion of this package being the being uh, process being being uh, in uh, on the floor in in the parliament and obviously we will be evaluating this this is a work in progress there's no other answer to it we are constantly working together with all uh, the society with local authorities with ngos with individual people that are coming to us every day there are coordination meetings on, on various branches and various topics. Uh, we in the foreign ministry are also dealing with coordinating international response. It's very important to work together with United Nations agendas, with the Red Cross, with all the organizations that help us both to deliver humanitarian aid to the territory of Ukraine and also to address the people that are already here in Poland, for example, through, through cash, cash assistance and other means of support that would help them uh, to, to, to live through these very difficult days, probably most difficult days of their lives. We are going to continue that. The challenges will be big, but uh, we are very grateful to everyone. Most of all, I want to say this, we are very grateful to everyone that is participating in this, because without this huge, this huge involvement of whole Polish nation, we wouldn't simply be able to cope with this. Is Poland also reaching out to EU partners to relocate some of these refugees? This is obviously a complicated question, particularly in view of the Polish government's own rejection of relocation mechanisms for refugees back in 2015. But nevertheless, that doesn't seem particularly relevant in the case that we are facing now, which is that refugees need help and Poland probably can't do this alone. The country that I'm in, the United Kingdom, in my own view, needs to do more, is not doing enough. And what kinds of discussions is the Polish government having with partners and how responsive are EU partners to these conversations? Well, we have been discussing this uh, and we continue to believe that systemic mechanism of relocation as it was proposed uh, seven years ago in 2015 with uh, particular quotas of people to be transported and, and forced to go to a particular country, this simply wouldn't be a proper answer. What we have been talking to other countries, not just EU, but other European countries too, is that we are providing uh, every means possible that whoever wants to travel, for example, to Germany, to France, to UK, that they are given all the means to do it for example free transport we all even organize special trains or buses to facilitate for those people that are willing to go further this should be happening and we urge all the countries to do it also we urge other countries to provide uh, all the means of support of education healthcare uh, welfare systems uh, access to the labor market to every refugee that is willing 
to use it. But we don't want to impose any system of re relocation, uh, just as we don't want to create any sort of refugee camps. We believe this wouldn't be beneficial. We believe the, there's a much better option to, 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 to do whatever we can to incentivize society to integrate and, and to incentivize uh, refugees to in integrate with society. That is the, the, the plan in the law that was adopted, and we are going to continue to, to, to implement this, looking obviously at the outcomes. Uh, another uh, curiosity maybe this, because obviously this refugee crisis is something unprecedented, both on a scale, but also in terms of the fact that we already had a big uh, Ukrainian population pre-war. It was between one and one half million people of Ukraine living in Poland. So this uh, helps a lot because it's easier for, for Ukrainian people to integrate. Uh, when the war started, we had many international organizations coming to Poland and saying that they can fund, they can spend millions of euros, for example, to establish permanent refugee camps. We sat down with them, we talked to them, we said, look, we understand that this is approach in many conflict zones worldwide. We believe this is not the best approach because of the reasons that I mentioned before. And it's better, for example, to, to, to use this money for different purposes, such as cash assistance for refugee families. And this is what, what will be happening in the next weeks. But, but, sorry we sorry to interrupt, but is, but, but is it sustainable for refugees to be living in people's homes for what, maybe six months, 12 months, we obviously have no idea. Is that something that with all of the enthusiasm and goodwill that we have seen from Poles on an extraordinary scale so far, is that sustainable and can that be asked of ordinary Poles and doesn't the government need to step in? And it may not be camps, there can be various facilities, they can be in student dormitories, they can be in other kinds of facilities which would take the pressure off ordinary citizens. Uh, we are already doing this and both the government and local authorities that have uh, some uh, lo locations of the sort at their disposal, for example, the, the government's facilities that are very often used to, to organize uh, some, some, some trainings outside of the, uh, of the, of the government build buildings. They have been also uh, reassigned to serve us as, uh, well, hotels of sorts now, because this is going to be more permanent. And we are continuing also to, to increase our efforts in housing. This is going to require a lot of money, a lot of investment. We are absolutely sure about this. We are to also talking, when you ask me about whether we talk to the European Union about relocation, we don't talk about relocation, but we talk about the means how EU should support the countries that accept refugees, not just the member states, because we also talk about Moldova, for, for example. Moldova is under huge pressure. So EU needs to also step in. This is a very challenging situation, and it will cost countries accepting refugees billions of euros. In relations with the EU, we have seen a softening on the questions that have been a source of conflict between Poland and the EU in recent times, above all rule of law, which was, of course, the subject of our last conversation as well. But I wonder whether in that context, the Polish government is also reassessing its own alliances and relations within the EU. Because, of course, we saw at the end of last year that the Polish government hosted a kind of gathering of Eurosceptic forces, most of them very closely aligned to Russia, some of them directly probably funded by Russia, including Marine Le Pen, who said in Warsaw when she was here for that meeting that she saw Ukraine very much as part of Russia's sphere of influence, which was very controversial in Poland, obviously, and looks even more so in hindsight. Also, Viktor Orban, who, of course, is very reluctant to follow the kinds of measures that Poland is now proposing and who has been very close to Putin. Is there a kind of reassessment of those sorts of relations within the EU that's happening on the part of the Polish government right now with Hungary, with some of those other Eurosceptic forces? 
Oh, I see that in the Polish public debate, uh, the topic of, of politicians such as Viktor Orban or Marine Le Pen or, or some other politicians that are not uh, even at, the, at their own governments or they have no influence on what is the policy of the countries. This has been well, the that's not the case point. with Orban. This is, uh, this is the case with Orban, but but Orban is ruling a 10 million Hungary, while Germany, almost 90 million country, is also doing has been also doing a lot in terms of supporting Putin's efforts, doing business with Putin. And I have never seen, or maybe not on a very big scale, uh, to call SPD or, or CDU a pro-Putin's party or, or party that... I mean, there's a difference Russia. between doing business. Poland does business with Russia as well, as we established earlier on, and literally receiving Russian funds, as Marine Le Pen has, and supporting Russia's policy towards Ukraine, which Germany has never done. So there's a big distinction there between those two positions. It is very convenient for big countries doing big, big deals with Russia, such as Nord Stream 2 and Nord Stream 1, let's not forget about Nord Stream 1 that's still operational, it's very convenient for them to point fingers to politicians such as Le Pen, such as Salvini, such as Orban. Orban is ruling a country, but this is a very small country, and I can't, I, I was looking to it actually in the recent months, I, can't, I couldn't find a situation where Hungary would be blocking sanctions when Germany wouldn't be doing this. And we are absolutely certain that if sanctions, if, if Germany wouldn't be blocking sanctions on, on oil and gas, Hungary wouldn't also be doing that. So I do understand that there's, there's, there is this topic of that. But please also see that when we are talking with other European politicians, we do not always agree with them on all subjects. And when there was a meeting of, as you, as you said, Eurosceptic parties, I wouldn't, I wouldn't use this word. We are skeptic of the current trends. Some would use the European word far liberal. right. Some yeah, would say we, far we, right we could, parties. We could use far right, but we are certainly skeptic of central, uh, centralist, uh, of, of centralist tendencies in Europe. And when we met in Madrid in December, all these parties that have been labeled as pro-Putin or pro-Russian, they have agreed for a declaration that was openly condemning Russian aggression, Russian, uh, Russian uh, preparation for war. This was regarded with surprise even by some, by some German media, I remember at that time. Look, it's not that we so, want so, so to So you don't get point fingers at those now. forces and you're not reassessing relations believe, with those forces? We believe that pointing fingers at smaller, smaller countries and politicians without real political influence on the policy of EU is a very convenient way of uh, running away from the need to explain uh, the policy of long-term policy of, of, of previous German governments. Now, we admire the bravery that Chancellor Schultz had to start the shift, but we hope that this bravery will not wane quickly. It will be, he will be able to continue this and Germany will not be blocking sanctions anymore. And I am certain that this, there is a possibility because the situation now that we are facing is something that Europe hasn't faced since the start of World War II. This is a new opening, so to say. And it also shows that any internal discussions within the European Union, our internal debates over this subject or that subject, this is something really not that important when we compare it to real threat from Russia. When there are talks about European values, European values are, are in exactly where Europe stands, where Ukraine stands, where Poland stands, where other countries are standing. On the other side, there is something much darker and we have to be united to protect these values.
Thank you. I can direct listeners to our previous conversation on rule of law if it comes to European values, but we'll leave it there certainly for today's conversation. I have one last question for you, which is that many Poles I talk to at the moment are genuinely fearful, I would say, about the possibility of the war spilling over the border. There is, of course, a certain level of trust in NATO security guarantees, but I think also a historically conditioned anxiety that these guarantees won't hold especially if the stakes are nuclear war. How does the Polish government assess the direct threats to the country and what measures is it currently taking? About specific measures, unfortunately, I'm not at liberty to uh, discuss them uh, openly, but I can assure uh, all our listeners that we are doing everything we can. This is absolute top priority, not just of Poland, but also many other allied countries in NATO, in the EU, to ensure security in Europe. The security for today uh, in, in the European Union and NATO is uh, paradoxically much better protected than before the war because there were some talks uh, ahead in the months before that NATO is uh, not refunctioning. Really there was even this, this famous description that NATO is in a state of brain damage. Nothing could be more wrong now. We see that NATO is indeed very active. It's indeed very much working. This is a good news for European security. But obviously, we have to be we have to be aware. We have to we have to realize that if Putin has means and has opportunity, he will be ready to attack. Will be ready to attack any country that he finds vulnerable, that he finds defenseless. So the time for NATO to be more decisive is now, because now Putin is engaged in Ukraine, now he uh, has, maybe already he realizes that his army wasn't as strong as he as he thought. So before he is given time to, to resupply, to reorganize and to strengthen his potential, we need to act and we need to do everything in our power to overthrow Putin, to, to, to defeat him with using every means possible. And I'm not just talking about military efforts. Because if we introduce these sanctions that cut Putin off his money, his inner circle, his, his closest aides will also, there is a growing chance that they will turn their backs on him because they also don't want to go down together with, with this dictator, at least not every one of them. This is the, 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 the road that we should be uh, thinking of, that we should be taking, because this is uh, also one of the solutions out of this conflict. Of course, it's in the military sense, it's important to note that the German Chancellor is committed to raising defense spending in Germany. And I saw yesterday that the Polish Senate passed, uh, the opposition-controlled Senate unanimously passed the bill that had been previously unanimously passed by the government-controlled parliament that would raise Poland's defense spending to 3% of GDP, which is obviously significantly above the 2% target for NATO member states. Is Poland in danger? Today, we are not in immediate danger. But if we fail to increase our defense effort, if we fail to prepare ourselves for what might be coming in the next years, this danger is certainly going to be uh, bigger, is certainly going to grow. It is not just about Poland, it's also about other countries in Europe, the Baltic states, Moldova, countries in the Caucasus, uh, also Nordic countries that are not members of NATO today. The danger is real. The threat that was looming somewhere on the horizon before is closer to us than any any time before. And we need, I think anyone in the right mind now wouldn't be able to say 
that Putin is just um, rattling his saber or doing something of the sort. He is a real danger. He's a real threat. And we need to be ready to face him. And right now he's destroying Ukrainian cities. And I'm sure that uh, you will join me in the statement that our thoughts are with the people of Ukraine, in support of the people of Ukraine, in solidarity with the people of Ukraine as they face this war of aggression against them. Thank you very much, Pavel Yavonsky, for joining me today on the Notes from Poland podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. God bless Ukraine.